Hi, and welcome to the Dark Industry Podcast, season number four. The Dark Industry Podcast is a collaboration with the Programmers of Color Collective and What's Up With Dogs. It is funded by Creative Europe, the City of Leipzig, the BKM and MDM. We thank our partners and supporters for their contributions. Hey, and thank you for listening. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Hello, Nils. So my name is Rama Chow. I'm a filmmaker from Senegal. And I would like to invite you to be part of our conversation today around aesthetic in cinema and especially how can we create a discursive way of thinking in order to achieve disruptive practice and creation in face of the dominant Western aesthetic to finally achieve the plural world cinema in our humanity, I would say. But this conversation that I'm proposing today with several colleagues from the film industry is the fruits of a long reflection, because by putting the notion of aesthetic in the center of the body of our work, uh, the question goes beyond the, the simple dialectic between uh, the colonized versus the colonizer, uh, because you include a philosophical approach to it, which is our imaginary and uh, it means, in other way, uh, all the other way of telling stories, of having imagination rather than the dominant one, which is actually Western one, and which is kind of killing our cinema because it's kind of formatting the, the the whole system with the same structure of narration, the state same character driven and so on and so on so today i would like to invite the first guest which is the famous editor nils pay anderson and i wanted to start with you this conversation because exactly you are like the symbol of the rich white male european who work in the old. industry and old <laughs> <laughs> so nils can you Present yourself better than I, and uh, let's go. Yes, my name is Nils. I'm I'm from Denmark originally, and and I started uh, as a young man, uh, 16 years old, uh, with a big passion for film. It was some of the most fantastic thing I thought in in the world. And I was lucky and became assistant for a very good Danish editor. And I learned uh, to edit film in a kind of mentor relationship. I never attended any film school. I was assistant for, for him on fiction film. And I started edit myself when I was around 20 and was doing and had a good career in fiction. Uh, and then after the big success, I kind of lost the passion. And then I turned into editing documentary films. Uh, so, uh, and that is what I mainly have been doing the last 30, 30 years. And to me, it's, uh, it's fantastic. It's uh, to 
what I get out of uh, working with documentary film, it is that I'm pushed by the reality and uh, it's not only aesthetics and some story that is written three years ago that I'm balancing, but I am part of finding the story, uh, distillizing the reality into uh, a form. And that I find much more challenging and interesting as a human being because I learn. And I think if there's one thing in my in my approach, it is I see filmmaking as a learning process. Well, when we are using in this conversation the word aesthetic, we are using it in the philosophical way, which is, of course, the form, but the content so it's the mix of the both. It's not just the, the, the I would say, um, this false idea that aesthetics is only around the form. And here we are using both content and form. And uh, um, can you give us an historical perspective? Because you've been working in the field for since 40 years. And as you said, you work in fiction, but also in documentary. Uh, how this trend, for instance, of having like the character driven raise up in, in the documentary and why this needs also in fiction to most of the time have this three act structure. How can you give us? I think documentary film, it's a very broad term. You know, it is, uh, it's everything from nature film or journalism, experimental to portrait film. So it's a very extreme broad genre. And but in general, I will see say and here I of course speak from a Western world perspective and the developing there and very much a European one. Beforehand, documentary film had been very much been part seen as educational film. It was governmental offices that were wanted to educate their population. It was very much seen as part of the whole in Europe educational system and part of creating national identities and building up states. Uh, and in the 60s uh, came a kind of revolt against that form where it was all, it had different names, but it was, let's, instead of a voiceover, is telling us what we should do, let the reality speak for itself. So there came observational cinema, there came cinema variety, a form, a belief that reality, if we just look at it, it will tell us more. So there was a period where the governmental office in the 70s and, and, and so on also gave quite much freedom to the, the filmmakers. And uh, television wasn't a big player. Often these governmental offices were 
rural financing. It was very national production, but there was great freedom also with links and, and so on. And then came uh, during the 80s and 90s, their television became the major player and finances. And they were also, it was governmental broadcasting systems. They also had, I would say, often, of course, they had a links issue because they had program, but they were quite open to different ways of, of, of making documentary films. But then they were pressured by the commercial television station, and there started much more what I will call the narrative tradition, where everything became storylines, uh, much more character-driven film. Uh, they uh, were using uh, dramaturgy and, and the rules that was based on fiction, where it was an individual person who yeah, have a problem or a dilemma and overcome it or, uh, or fail. Uh, that. So that became uh, the dominant uh, player. And at the same time, what happened was also that documentary film became more and more popular or it 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 was seen by more people ordinary people so suddenly also the interest was growing and there also came more money and but to and me then, yeah you just um I, I get you, but I think that we can add in complementary of it that there was two way of documentary because mainly there was also the documentary uh, regarding the outsiders like the the south um and and I think it's slightly different because from the beginning uh filmmakers who were making documentary were white and they they were coming as you said to study. The, the the people of the south are like even when I say the south the global south even if it's not like Flaherty when he went to the north and mm. and create this myth of the good savage with um with uh, Nanook uh mm. the, the Eskimo I, I, I don't remember the English title Nanook uh, the yeah from the north yeah, yeah. from the north and and here it's a mix of fiction because he have asked them to play roles that he have been written and so-called immersive uh, aesthetic where he doesn't speak that was the, the American version and in the French version we can uh, European version we can also quote uh, uh, Jean Rouge which has as you say this voiceover who are coming and say I would say the indigenous, the the native person, and and this voiceover was speaking for them. It was very anthropological uh, way of telling stories, and and the other were told like you know ancient anthropologue book, and then 
during the 60s the 70s also i can i can see that there is a link with the the the, the civil rights movements the black movement in general in the us so suddenly and also the vietnam war suddenly you couldn't tell the story the same way you had to bring some more rock and roll in it <laughs> for instance, yes, the, the, the documentary of music that started to to rise, like Montreal pop, or all this kind of new form of telling stories in documentary, but also the equipment was lighter, yeah. which, which which was a huge revolution. So, of course, there was this in between sixties, seventies, where there was this huge form where they were experimenting and. Again, it was mainly white people who were doing that because uh, you needed also to live, to to work outside, and to do this kind of film, you needed to have a little bit money because there were very few funding. And what I can see a shift, it's when we 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 entered to the eighties, so it was like the party is over, and 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 the the, the African a little Af- later. A little later. Yeah, yeah, in the mid-80s. And the African continent, you know, with the the, the the famine in Ethiopia, all this kind of thing. And here I can see a shift where um, the documentary started to be more like uh, journalistic. Are we going, you know, in Asia or Ethiopia to show you the famine, the poverty, to show you the war, the struggle, but also has been uh, uh, influenced with the, 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 the Vietnam War, this journalistic way of telling the story of the other. And, and at, at that time, if I'm not wrong, more and more uh, journalist women started to make their own documentary, right? But, uh, but of course, I would say that, that uh, documentary film have always been left uh, linked to the Western lefties. So uh, I would say they have uh, politically, it has it has been a, a, a medium that had attracted the Western intellectual and the, the lefties. And then we can show those different trends that was in the times in the 70s and the 80s and with this I think and I have done film like that you know uh, out in the world been editing a film where there was a Danish or another western director coming out and, and looking I will say with the best intention but what we forgot was that we were bringing our perspective with us. Uh, so that has been uh, very much part of the, the history of documentary film uh, since, yeah, uh, I would say throughout times. But I think what have happened, the reason is, it is that, and, and I think we always have to look when we are talking about how does film look and how does the aesthetic, the content, all those things, we filmmakers, we think we are, you know, individual artists that is choosing, you know, what we think is right and have our artistic freedom. But we are, of course, part of our times as everybody else. 
and we are part of an economic system where where does the money come from? So this, I, I, I think there can be told beautiful, fantastic, uh, character-driven film. It's not that I, I think, but it represents a certain view, a view of the human as a individual, that it's our own will and strengths that is the criteria if we succeed in life. And that is not only in, in filmmaking that we have, it is the, the, the philosophy of the modern Western human being. We think we are king in our own life, and that is one of the biggest myths and, 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 <laughs> and lies. And, and, and that's, that's, that has uh, rose up uh, uh, with the, the Reagan, Thatcher, That when the ultra liberalism capitalism come back, this idea also that uh, a man the, the individualistic way of thinking that one man can make it by his own, and and also that the collective doesn't exist anymore. It's just sustain your own path, your own destiny. And also this three-act structure, the rise, the fall, and the redemption, which is coming from Shakespeare, but you can find it also in the Bible, this way of say, seeing life, which is very, uh, in a way, Christian, European. And, oh, and, no. and then, the, therefore, we are at the core of it, because what, after that, during the 90s and the 20s, uh, funders, commissioner, editors asked to, um, I would say, a filmmaker from the South, because again, the trend of uh, democratization of the camera uh, 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 everything with uh, the end of, uh, you know, the, the, the analogical camera. So therefore people from the South are, are able to have access to camera and start to tell much more their own story but they, there is a glass ceiling where uh, the funders the commission editors ask us to tell story in three act structure where we are stuck in this idea that we must continue to tell the story like we were kind of looking ourselves to explain ourselves to the Western people and make them feel comfortable that we are poor, that we need to be saved, this idea. And, and we don't have enough space to tell our stories in the structure we want it, in the form we want it, but also in other art form. Aren't uh, you agree with that? And, and the core of the conversation today is how can we change that? Yeah, first of all, I, I think it's you don't give away power. It has to be taken uh, somehow. But of course, I think in, 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 in two ways. First of all, I will say one thing that, that uh, I, th I think it is important because I travel a lot with my work and, and doing workshops and uh, doing teaching and so on. And I see, unfortunately, outside of Europe and the Western world, that 
more and more filmmakers from from these parts of the countries are aiming or are searching because they want money for their projects, so they mold their project into those narrative lines. So, and that I think is a is a big tragedy. But it is because documentary film over the last twenty years have bec- suddenly they have become more money than ever, and with the money, there also comes demands. And that was one of the reasons I also left fiction was because I felt that there was much more artistic freedom in documentary. But now also with the streamers coming in, so there have never been produced as many documentary films as now. It has never been seen as by as many people as today. So that is, for me, it is what have happened. There have happened a globalization of the documentary film and in a search for a international market. And that has a huge price in that and that we should be aware of. I think the first point it is to be aware. Before we can change, we need the awareness. You know, and a, and a lot of filmmakers, both in the West, are not clear about their own upper position. And a lot of, of filmmakers from the South, they want to make films. And they are kind of modeling their films towards the international market. So for me, it's a Western, but it's also the capitalistic perspective or vision. And and the same, I would say, uh, modeling into to systematic thinking. A lot of Western filmmakers are suffering for that as well, because it's only if you want to make other kind of story structures, you don't get your project funded. So I think step one, it is that we understand the mechanism and we are part of a bigger political uh, system. Yeah, but but that's exactly also to go there. Thing is, even if we see it through a capitalistic perspective, the market has changed, but the rulers haven't seen that change or doesn't want to see that change. For instance, the Global South is the wider audiences of cinema, which is even the platform, also the collective experience, because uh, in my continent, for instance, we've been cut off from cinema for two decades and, and we are collective society. We know what is an experience, a collective experience, and we are eager about that. Some people are aware that we are the market of the future because we are already all the market because we are young, 70% of under 35. And we will be, for instance, two, two and a half billion in 2050. So we are the market, but we have different needs 
and 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 we want to see us more. But the players, the funders, are still white, old male, or when they are not old male, they are all white women who also fits in the, in, in in this very Western way of thinking that cinema is what they are used to and should be what they are used to. And that is the problem. And and that's exactly why we are having this conversation. We need to educate those funders, those those commissioner editors, but the people in the film festival, but also the distributors who don't want to distribute our films because the market has changed. So even if we are looking through the capitalistic way of seeing it, it's wrong. So... We need to change that, but in a longer scales, what we will left as a patrimony to our humanity. We can't let only one the, the Western way of thinking. And cinema is a powerful tool. So for instance, can you give us one of the, the major breakthrough for you in terms of aesthetic in cinema? On, the, on my personal level? Yeah, as an editor, as an editor. As a, as a... As I said, my film school was fiction. I know how to tell a story. And and that is, of course, a craft. You know something, how you are creating in emotion and, and, and uh, how you are uh, using images. And that have always been my thing in documentary. It is, let's... It's a visual story. It's not only what is set. It is we can tell the art form of cinema. It is that we are telling in emotion. We are telling in images, not words. It, it's part of it. So that have always been, been my thing. And I was a very excellent uh, narrative editor. But then I think it was 25 years ago, then I have been... I was so lucky that I had met some project that had changed my way of thinking of narrative storytelling. And and the first one that really changed, I will say, me a lot was I was working with the Finnish director, Piero Honkonsal. And there it was a film called Three Rooms of Melancholia. And that film didn't have any main characters. It didn't have a linear structure. It was a film in three chapters about the Chechenian war. And it had much, it was built much more as a symphony, which in music, it has themes, it has size themes, it has repetition which is something we say in in, in kind of classical storytelling. No, it's boring when we repeat, but with variation. So that was a film that I learned so much from. And, And I suddenly understood that there was a deeper, I, I learned to, to appreciate or understand silence uh, in another way, because Pierre has, uh, as a a filmmaker, she is looking also for people when they are alone with themselves. 
and have a, in all her work also have as she's political, but she also have a, a spiritual dimension, which were totally new for me. And I could say that the, what it, it, it's her, everything, it's her honor. But but I would say, if I should say something that I'm curious as a person. So I was jumping in and say, okay, I don't really get it, but let's see what's happened. And I wanted to try something new. That film changed a lot. And then later, Joshua Oppenheimer's Act of Killing uh, was a, also one of those films that changed everything I knew about film. Why? And it, it was because it was on the ethics and it, it was a film which were was a provocation for a lot of filmmakers and people where we only was showing the evil. We were in a, we made that conscious choice to take out uh, the good. All storytelling is based on in its core on the fight between the good and the evil. And this that we were taking out the the good, the victims of this genocide in Indonesia was a very uh, provocative experience for a lot of audiences because suddenly they were also confronted with the the evil as part of of the human. And in a lot of of narratives in film and so on, but also in wars and so on, the way that we are the kind of function in the world, it is that we are dehumanizing the other. That is why uh, presidents, religious leaders can convince a population that they should go out and kill another population or somebody who believes in something else. So that was it. So of course the act of killing is is a is a film about a genocide in Indonesia, but it's also a film about storytelling. And that led to a kind of reflection of what what the fuck have I been doing in a way? Because I also understood that the way we are telling also can't be separated from the content. It is a statement in itself. So that film also questioned the whole, my whole, what I have been doing for 25, 30 years before. And that also led to a reflection to write a book about my development as a human being, as a storyteller, and, and ended in a book where I tell my, my relationship to film and storytelling and the different uh, ways that I have been through, a book called Order and Chaos. So... In some way, I have been uh, very privileged that I have met directors and that have... But you have never worked with, with people from the South, especially Black women or Black people. And maybe it's time to change, right? 
<laughs> yeah, but at, at, at the same time, uh, I haven't edited uh, a film, but I have been consulting a lot. And and the recent years, I have been consulting and and learned a lot uh, from uh, African filmmakers, but also Asian filmmakers. Uh, I have worked with uh, the Chinese artist Ai Weiwei, who doesn't see see people as individual uh, at all. He has a kind of another way. He has also other things. But but don't you think that also, I'm pointing something very crucial there, that uh, uh, why uh, the, the filmmaker from the South doesn't benefit from editor of your standard? Because, of course, there is the money pressure because you also cost a value of experience, but there is there isn't enough bridge between also the good skills between the north and the south, and exactly. we we don't have also the chance to meet you in fact, and 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 it's not it's it's could be seen or heard as a joke when I say that you haven't worked with because also your cycle of work hasn't mat- match or meets us. And that's also what we need to work on it. So to end, I, I'm, I'm sure you're doing something on that side. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? And then we're going to close. Yeah, but, but but I, I think one of the problems, it is that now we are seeing uh, more films from the global south by filmmakers from there, directors. And but they are produced by European producers, and then they put European DOP and European editor to package it, and then it has the, the correct label. But uh, the often it's also mulled into you know a young. Director, if you are together with powerhouses, experienced DOP and experienced producers and and editors, then you of course also get affected. I think uh, it's not. I think for me the most important thing, and that is also part of my whole book project, it is that you should in the global south have a full range. Infrastructure means producers, means DOPs, meaning editors. So what I have done and I applied money for, for example, to go to Africa, it is to train or not train, but but encourage African film editors that they are creative sparring partners, dialogue partners in the the process. They are not just technicians. So the only way that we create a healthy storytelling, it is that it's not me who's coming down to tell you how to, because of course, even I'm so kind of liberal and blah, 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 blah. Of course, I am European. So I bring a lot of my culture with me. At the same time, of course, there is also education. 
Film is also a craft and to understand how film works with an audience, you also need some skills. And this that we don't make, are not making a character driven film in a three act structure. It's not the same that there is no structure, you know. You need and some structure, you know, then you can do it in many ways. And, and of course, it's hard. In, 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 in many ways, it's harder to make a multi-plot story than an individual or a character dream. And you also think like time. If you have one hour, if you have five characters in a one-hour film, then you have 10 minutes to show these people. So this formatting about links is also an issue. In, in, and that we, for example, see in fiction, if we take the television series, they have much more time to develop side characters and go deeper in, in themes where if you have 90 minutes, it is, you know, so short also to make it deep. So that is, uh, yeah. My, Thank, my, you, my Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Rama. It's an interesting, you... uh, it's, it, it's a int always an interesting dialogue with you. And I think that is what, uh, if I should say a last thing, it is that, we should keep up the dialogue because all of us, I think, get wiser by dialogue. Also, when we are disagreeing, because that is what we learn from. Thank you. Thank you very Thank much. You. <laughs> and good luck for your book and your tour. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, so the question of aesthetic in cinema um, and the needs to have all the aesthetics raise so many other questions such as universal cinema. Is there a universal cinema? Because from the moment where the dominant form of art is ruled by rich, white, old men, um, and mostly from uh, Europe or US, is there a place for all the kind of cinema for for the women, for the LGBT community, but also for the non-white audience and, and filmmaker, uh, especially knowing that today, in fact, that the non-white are the majority of the world. So it's a kind of paradox where the cinema, so-called universal, is shaped and done by a minority. And I would like to dig into this question with my two guests. So my first guest is Semia Labadi. I hope I did it well. <laughs> She's a curator and cultural producer from Tunisia. She works with several cultural institutions such as NAS. So NAS is uh, the network for Arabic. Oh, she will say it better than me. Alternative, I think, screenings. Is it right? The Network of Arab Alternative Screens. Great. Thank you, Semia. And our second guest is Nazia Arabi. Nazia is a DOP writer, director, producer, and curator. And she's half from Libya and 
England. So Samia is based in Tunisia, Naziha is based in UK. So now we can start the conversation and I'm based in Senegal. So it's a really, I would say, <laughs> international conversation. <laughs> Let's go. So my two first questions are around these two topics, which are first, how will you say, how can we change the aesthetic in cinema and why is it relevant to do it today, especially um, during this area post-COVID? So who would like to start? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, we can start. Uh, thank you, uh, Rama, for inviting Nadia and, uh, and myself to join you in this conversation. Um, yeah, I, I want to maybe go back to why is it relevant to do it and to do it specifically today and uh, echoing what you said in your introduction that we are part of a global majority that has been labeled minorities or diversity or or, or, or there are many labels that are attached to who we are. And I think, yeah, more than, than ever, uh, it's not just linked to the, to the pandemic for me and, uh, our need maybe to be more connected, more, uh, also you make better use of uh, being online as we are doing now all together. But I think it's, uh, yeah, it's relevant because we are more and more aware uh, creating spaces where we can discuss uh, these issues of uh, representation, of creation, uh, and this need of having, uh, I, I like that you talked about the, the universal and how we are, somehow it has been confiscated from the majority of uh, of people. Mm -hmm. uh, anything that is related to us cannot be universal, it's very particular, but it has to do with the way that we have been pushed or not able to tell our stories. So I think, yeah, it's, uh, these questions have been there for decades and, and decades, but now we also have tools to take them to, uh, to another level. And we have, uh, yeah, we have this chance of being in conversation with, uh, with each other throughout the year. Uh, I mean, us as, uh, programmers, creators, uh, producers, we create these spaces for each other and, I also like to think of the what we are doing now that we are we have been invited in a space that is uh, part of a festival that is established uh, in the global north part of an it's in the industry section of the festival but we we occupy the space the way that we want to and we explore the space and we we shape it as we want so I think that's why it's uh, uh, yeah, it, it's very urgent to continue to do that and occupy the space together. Nasiha, would you add something? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I of course echo that. Um, I also, I suppose, wanted to reflect on what you were saying post-COVID because I feel that in the space of COVID, there was this gap where everything paused and actually people started reflecting. Um, and I felt that it was so deeply and desperately needed and people started reflecting more on like what we make why we make who makes it why are we even making it why does this whole industry exist in the way it does does it have to exist like this and I feel like as we've come further and further out of this era in which we were reflecting those questions have stopped being asked um, and they've been replaced with um, I think possibly tick box exercises in solving them quickly, like diversity and inclusion and representation, which 
may be well-meaning, but I often feel that they are um, a smoke in which to sate you temporarily. Um, and I feel that it doesn't get to the crux of, um, you know, who is making. Because with diversity and inclusion and representation and things like this, it's a plaster. It's like, okay, if what we see on screen seems more diverse, then we are therefore having a slightly more diverse world in which we're portraying back to ourselves. But actually, who's making that work? Um, and how are they making that work? And who are they making that work with? And so I feel that it's so urgent and relevant now that we come back to those questions and we look at them more deeply and we look at the plasters that we've been putting over them and patting ourselves on the back for saying, oh, we're, we're solving these things, when in fact, actually, it's a smoke in which to um, not deepen the conversation, I feel. Um, so, yeah, when you, you, you know, wrote to us about continuing these conversations that we've all been having in our circles, you know, mm -hmm. around the world as we all collide in various ways that we do, I think it's important that we don't continue just to have those conversations in the margins, but that we, we centre them. Um, and not just in the spaces in the so-called global south, but also in mm. the global north in where currently still so many decisions are made in terms of the cinema that exists globally and supposedly universally. And it was also strange because you're talking about the post-COVID, but actually the main film festival were almost completely white. That was also interesting. Uh, Cannes, Venice, we can make an exception with Edfa in terms of documentary, but in the majority, the film were made by white people. And that is a, a paradox, again, with the post-COVID and the COVID during the COVID, where people were starting to say, we need change, we need mm -hmm. to change things. So actually, the streamers, um, I'm not going to name them, have also took a huge place during this COVID time. But at the same time, I feel like the industry doesn't want to see that in the global South, people are eager for other experience, but we don't have that space to create our aesthetic. Can, can you, I don't know, jump on it? <laughs> Tell me more, for instance, you, Naziha, as DOP and writer, Director, you had to produce your film. Can you tell us why too? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to come to the question of who decides what is the, the global universal kind of image of cinema, what is successful, inverted commas, cinema, what gets acquired, what gets produced, what gets commissioned, what gets programmed. And um, I think, We have to look at it holistically in the sense of it's not just the funders or the programmers of the festivals. It's also the commissioners. It's also the mentors. It's also the critics, because I feel like when you see that the majority of critics are from a certain demographic that mostly doesn't speak to the demographics of the films that they're critiquing, that's a big problem because then they're dictating the fashions of what is um I don't know, celebrated. And then that feeds into what gets commissioned, which then gets feeds into what ends up in workshop situations where people are like, oh, well, you know, audiences won't quite get this or they might not get this. So you need to contextualize this more. Otherwise, our audiences won't understand this. And so I feel like it, it's, it's like this circle that feeds itself. And 
I think we need to be um, deeply disruptive to kind of slash through that circle. But it's unfortunately something that it has to change on all levels, which is a big move. But I think it's possible. I feel like, you know, there isn't a lack of people who are writing who are from, you know, the global majority or the working classes. There isn't a lack of people who can program who are from the global majority or the working classes. There isn't a lack. There's just a lack of taking the effort to seek those people out. And I think um, that's something that we've discussed a lot. It's like, you know, often it's like, well, we couldn't find someone. It's like, did you look hard enough? Um, so as somebody making stuff, coming back around to that, um, I feel that you often, especially when you're a new filmmaker and when I was first starting out, you're going to workshops and people are saying, no, 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 you need to do this or you need to do that or for it to end up in this sort of space. It needs to be like this. And so many people are influenced by that. And I think there needs to be a deeper consciousness Mm. around what we are telling people or what is being made as formula as to what is a film. Um, And I know that sounds really simplistic, but I feel like formulas are driven by who decides what is fashion or what is success. Um, And all the while, all the A-list festivals are in the mostly global north, Um, all the while people critiquing, programming, workshopping from that demographic, then the 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 global aesthetic will always be dictated by a western and possibly let's say a colonial gaze and for instance in the big festival i I was um, very struck by the fact that for instance for south america uh, i'm not going to name also that uh, prestigious film festival international the, the the woman the curator in charge of the film she was spanish and I was like, how can it be in 2020, you have a person who lives in Europe from the ex-dominant like, colonizer to go and be the curator of a whole continent? It, it, it's like as if in South America, there is no person that we can relate on to search for the film and who lives in the field, who knows the industry. So it's it's it was so shocking for me because in this major film festival, but also for the distributors, they are all European. And so how can they be relevant as curator? And Samia, can you tell me about that? I was so shocked about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um I would like to like also to flip that around and and think about uh, like for like the idea of filmmaking as a holistic from not just from uh, how a film is made from its storytelling from producing to how it's uh, engaging with an audience and how it's curated how it's critiqued as you said so all of these levels are communicating with each other and I'd like to think about the role of uh, programmers and curators are enablers but as a two two double-edged sword like there is a very positive uh, role of supporting and there's also a very unhealthy role of enabling continuing to enable systems that are in place and whether you're white or not white and I've been trying to think about that with my starting with myself uh, starting with myself, having the consciousness and awareness that 
I, I was born in France. I was shaped also by a, a French and Francophone culture, uh, first and, and foremost. And I, it comes with a lot of privileges that I, I like to think about when I'm, I'm programming. And I'm Tunisian. I've worked a lot around uh, first Palestinian cinema and Arab cinema. But I've, uh, with a lot of naivete maybe in the beginning and, and also engaged in conversations with a lot of uh, uh, friends and other curators to talk about how we can also exoticize, how we can, we can have the role of gatekeepers, even if you're an Arab in an Arab film festival, an Arab working in the global north or whatever, like you have the space, but you can also enable these systems to continue and you're uh happy to be representing and as you said we also are put in this position to represent an entire continent or region or even just one country it's a lot to as as one person to represent uh yeah that, that much uh, uh complexity that is flattened by the way that we occupy these spaces of programming and curating because it's always looked at as something not political, where it is very political, where we don't talk about the economies of film festivals, we don't talk about how we, again, like when you program, you exclude, but when you program films, but also when you program industry platforms, like all of this, I feel, again, we have these conversations on the side, but it's uh, very rare that we have the opportunity to discuss that, to reflect that. And I want to say, uh, preparing for uh, our conversation, like I, I, there are some books that I go back to or some work of people that are in our generation that are inspiring. Yesterday and the days before, I went back to what Gemma Desai wrote. This work is not for us. This document that I think has uh, such a, a deep impact on so many of us. And we talked mm -hmm. about that before in Azira. Mm -hmm. And for me, I put, I would put it in the same, uh, category of what uh, Sisters Outside of Audrey Lord did to me intellectually and on really putting you in a position where we are responsible also for being parts of systems and how we engage with this uh, these systems. So yeah, just to be critical also of uh, our positionalities. And I like the fact that in we are also in a time that Everything is in crisis, and I we, we were talking about the pandemic. For me, it's just one crisis out of so many that we are living in constantly, all of us in different shapes and forms. And in this time and, and space, I feel like there's a moment where initiatives are being born out, out of this uh, will to not just be in like per performing resistance or performing struggle or performing this critique. So we are really lucky now to have, like there's so many, for instance, books now that are being written about our histories, different practices. And again, going back to filmmaking is not just the act of filming something, uh, creating these films. But I feel like now we have, uh, just as you, Naziha, or you, Rama, you have different practices. You're also like your artists, your Moria, you're producing, you're creating space for people to meet. Uh, this is so important. But I, yeah, I feel like we are in this moment where also having publications about our film histories, about one film, about one uh, career of a filmmaker is as important as just being critical of what we're doing and talking about that but when you have to when we can go back to this history and we have access to that i feel like it can also change the vision we have about our cinema histories and like the plural of that and and regarding about you you were naming uh, audrey lords 
I feel like doing cinema, it's like, um, it's, it's, it's for me, it's a, it's like the world. What's happened outside, or I would say outside of cinema can find it in the cinema, the same structure, the same patriarchal system, but also I would raise an issue around also the, the, the white women in the industry that we don't talk a lot about. And as a Senegalese women and black women in this industry have been much more bullied by white women, have been more um, humiliated with really big humiliation, like you are not artistic enough to do this film, uh, you won't be able to make it or to become a director by white women rather than white men, in fact, which is kind of a paradox too that we don't raise enough, especially in the documentary world where it's mainly ruled and women dominant, but white women. So it's also another problem that we need to, to talk about if we want to give more space to non-white women in this film industry. I think um, a lot of that we need to solve by looking at um, non-hierarchical co-productions. Um, like practically speaking, I feel like uh, there is so much wealth in the so-called global South. And um, I feel that, you know, those those threads exist, um, but they're the, the kind of the, the strength and thickness of those and the, the way in which they spread out has not had space, I think, to develop enough because there are so many funding schemes in which you apply for a fund in Europe, but you have to have a European co-producer attached. Um, and, you know, ideally it's like, oh, I find someone who's really passionate like me and we, we're we on an equal kind of power dynamic, but that's often never the case. Um, and I think that often this does lead to a complete empower balance. Even if you are the curator of the, the work, you own the rights, um, you own the, you know, the I mean, you've been working on it for years, for example, and this person comes in just maybe in the last couple of years, there's still a power dynamic that's at odds there. And then you still go into meetings and that person who's only been on that project a small amount of time is the one that's spoken to rather than you. And so I feel coming back to kind of structural solutions, I feel like if we kind of invest more in these um, more lateral kind of relationships, then maybe that will happen less. I'm not saying it won't happen, but I'm saying that it's, uh, I don't know. So these structures already create an imbalance. And so, you know, what's already there within society is just elevated further. Um, so, yeah, so I'm really interested, I think, at the moment, at, at looking at those different ways of, of, of collaborating. Um, I'm also really interested in looking at different ways in which we um explore and share cinema or other screens or expanded cinema i feel like the current structures of kind of more proscenium arch film can be so limitating because of you know these structures have been in place for so long um whereas i think maybe expansive or immersive cinema work because it's still quite new i feel like there's more space in which to I don't know, cut a completely new cloth. Um, that may be a naivety on my part, um, but I feel at the moment currently more excited about that because 
those entrenched power dynamics haven't lived for so long. I mean, it's really shit that you've been treated like that. And it's shit that we have all experienced shit like that. I'm probably not allowed to swear shit, sorry. I don't think we can expect people to change. I think we have to change the way we work, unfortunately. And and the question is, why have you chosen to become a producer? Was it was it it was a concert like a conscious choice, or is it was because you didn't have any other choice? Why? I mean, we've discussed this at length. It's, you know, it's it's multiple reasons. It's um, I couldn't find people to collaborate with that would feel as passionate about the project as me. But also it's a question of rights. It's a question of holding on to the rights of the work that you create. Um, it's also a question of being, I suppose, responsible for this thing that you're making and your connection is with the people that you're making it with. And therefore I, I can't, um, it's very hard to find partners in which who share that same responsibility often. I'm not saying they don't exist, but I'm saying in these kind of relationships, it's often quite tricky. Um, but yeah, I think a rights thing is something, especially when you're, you know, say 12 years ago when I first starting out I, I didn't know about rights I didn't know about the business of films I didn't know about the structures of co-productions I didn't know about maintaining what I'd curated and created and it's not about ownership in the terms of kind of like um agreed or anything like that it's more about the responsibility of the work you make and so I think in an ideal world I'd love to just be you know, a creative and just a visual artist and not have to do all the other bullshit that's really, really tricky and hard and exhausting and being in all these horrible conversations about contracts and rights and this and that. But at the end of the day, I I don't know. I, I just don't feel the structures are currently in place in which um, I can entrust the lives of the people in my film people who maybe never even go to the places in which I film or have never even, you know, heard enough about it. And again, I'm sure there's great people out there and I have met a few, but it's, I think, to produce for me, you cannot produce if you haven't been to the country in which you're collaborating. It's impossible. Like, how can you understand the world in which you're creating if you've never even put foot on the ground in that country? I, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, before to give the mic to Sam. yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's. Uh, I think it's good also that we take our time to tell our experience because we came from so far and we don't have this opportunity to talk about that. For instance, I didn't choose to become a producer for myself when I created my company. It was to produce other filmmaker in Senegal because. Still now, we've got very few production company. I mean, we've got one woman who's distributing films and Umu uh, again, she has started two years. And so it's it's a very fragile uh, industry that we have in Senegal. So first it was to produce other people. But then I quickly realized that because I was a woman, I was coming from uh, a poor background. I didn't have all the network. I didn't also have all, all the, the the clue on how you need to do some ass leaking in the market to which person or other person. And so 
people didn't give me the money that I, that I was working for. They didn't give me my money. They didn't pay me. Uh, I've met several crooks because there are lots of crooks in the documentary world. We need to tell it because there, there is few money, lots of people. And so um, it's very like the tension are very high because there is few money for many people. And if you don't get the right information, as you said, regarding copyrights, contract, fundings, co-production, you can be easily fucked up by all the people. So I started to produce my own film for that reason, but also for one reason, which is important uh, for the, the, the discussion today, which was I wanted to tell the story the way I wanted to tell them. I wanted to give the form to my film the way I wanted. Because at that time, if you were coming to, from Senegal, um, Itfa, um, even though Kleibschik, all this uh, Doc mentioned, they, they had a special idea of what they want from a Senegalese filmmaker to do, what kind of film. You have to think those books, as you said, and especially in, in when you come from um, the continent and you're Black, they want you to do political films, um, women issue, violence, blah, blah, blah. And, and they want you to explain them, your society, the people, the law, blah, 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 blah. So to educate them like a book. So there is no space for us to find fundings where we can be creative in terms of forms of, of also structure of just expressing ourselves. So that's why I started more and more to, produ to be a producer and to produce my film. And still now I don't, get recognition of that because people are like, oh, you can't do both. Of course, th there is this false idea that you can't uh, raise money and be creative, which is a complete European way of thinking. So, <laughs> Sanya, would you like to jump on it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a lot of uh, food for uh, thought. But <laughs> when you were talking, I was thinking of uh, uh, one of the most moving and like deeply moving experiences I've had this year in terms of cinema, like more maybe two, but one of them was in a space, like going back again to this idea of decentering, of creating something that is ours. It's a festival that happens in the south of Tunisia. Uh, it's been four years running, Gebe Cinema Fun, where they focus on uh, Arab cinema and visual arts and also VR. And it's very, it's such an interesting uh, place. But uh, so every year there is one filmmaker who's invited and they have a retrospective and master classes. And this year was particularly, yeah, I mean, for me, ground shaking, but not just for me, for those who were in the space in the festival. It was very, very special. It was around the, the cinema of Nariman Marie, uh, Algerian French based in, in Marseille filmmaker. And who started in her 40s uh, cinema, but the way that she creates, the way that she also speaks to us and, and enlarges our imaginaries because she's so free in how she portrays whatever she wants to portray in the way that she also she's producing uh, her own film. She has her own company and she's also enabling and producing others the way that you said, the way that you 
been doing Naziha for the past decade also in, in Libya and in conversation with those who worked with you on, on different projects and you're still accompanying them the same way that you're also doing Rama in Senegal. I feel like she's also doing that with Algerian filmmakers and those who are the most for me interesting or they have like a fertile imagination that runs free. I feel also because somehow they encountered her and it, it allowed this, uh, this freedom. And I feel because she, She's not going, you know, she's not, her cinema is not processed throughout all of this platform that can be very useful. And we work also, we, I, I work in these spaces and we know people who do their best to create safe spaces and spaces where creativity can be also brought in and nurtured in the spaces. But we also need spaces outside of that. And when we have this, uh, examples of uh i think that she will have a retrospective in the moment uh, Nariman, and it's really something i feel for me it's busting all the canons of what you think about when you talk you think about an arab woman or you, if you think about if you want to look at like different ways like diaspora cinema whatever you want to put labels on uh and she has like a body of work and we don't usually we don't have that when we talk about arab and and african and or african cinema because of all of what you said the difficulties of creating films the difficulties of these films meeting an audience or even to be critiqued by people who engage with it not from a, a wide perspective not from you know i feel like we still don't have the way that we are we should be allowed to have uh, but we have this example. So I'm thinking, okay, so I had this uh, with Nariman while you were talking for me. It's really, I see the two of you and so many other filmmakers, and most of them are women in our generation, in our regions, uh, again, plural, also creating this path. Well, I think like for me, what's exciting about cinema, it's, uh, yeah, when I think about Palestinian cinema, also Palestinian filmmakers who are, also, again, bust, like really busting these canons, like creating other aesthetics, uh, defying what people are expecting of Palestinian cinema. I'm thinking about Jumana Mana or Basma Sharif. Like it's, yeah, yeah. they're so challenging in the, uh, mm -hmm. in, in just the sense of when, because I, I also work in programming Palestinian cinema and it's very interesting the, the way that people re, like really, they want to engage with the Palestinian cinema and they would come and tell you, oh, this is not Palestinian cinema. And then when you ask them what is Palestinian cinema, they are not able to say what, but it's an image that they've constructed of what should be a Palestinian narrative. And then you have this, uh, uh, filmmakers who are also like, they practice so many forms of art, but when it, it comes to their cinema, I feel like it's really challenging and they, uh, yeah, they have also, they are not going through all of these platforms that are, again, like you were saying, formulas, Nazia, like, I think they, like, it's ours, our narratives, they are taken in the spaces with the best intention sometimes, and then they're just diluted or removed, like layers of complexities are removed to be uh, mm -hmm. able to like we are not offering different gazes anymore but it's the reverse like we are gazed at you are saying uh, Rama that we and you, we educate others about our stories and I, I always say like we self-anthropologize in most of our films like there's so much yes. that is removed from this universality because we are explaining while we are mm -hmm. uh telling our stories yeah we're not telling our story for ourselves it's for this white gaze that is 
very present in all the structures and the dynamics from production to distribution to exhibition to criticism. Yeah, completely. It just had funny um anecdote about that when I was touring with the revolution most of the time when I was going for an interview they were asking me so can you tell me more about the politics in Africa and I was like okay <laughs> it's a continent first of all and I'm not a journalist so of course this idea of uh, we we here just to convey information and not art is so deeply rooted but do you think Nancy have you did freedom fields yeah. and you produce uh, after the, a revolution, the Anantol Chaos and some yeah. other films? But um yeah, I think um there's something that keeps coming back is that this this need to oversimplify, I feel is like stripping audiences of the possibility of engaging with deeply um, I don't know, like explorative and um exciting um different imaginaries like I feel like audiences are smart they are capable of engaging with things that are complicated and complex and of a different texture and way and 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 I feel like when people condition this simplification into films when they're commissioning or what what have you I feel that we are losing the possibility of artistic expression. We are losing the possibility of um, a new language that could be so exciting, that could be, and it is there, it trickles out in different films. Like you were saying, like there are films that manage and they do, but I feel like, imagine how many like filmmakers and artists could be different if, mm-hmm. if this simplification wasn't so present. Um, and... Yeah, so I feel like we're stripping audiences of, of the, the possibility to engage with a different way, a different sort of cinema um, and other cinema. I feel that if that consciousness can become more aware, like not only do the creators benefit, but audiences globally benefit. Um, and we could have, you know, a far more exciting film industry. Yeah. Don't you think also we need to follow the money in in why I'm saying that? Because if we want also to have all the kind of cinema, we need to have more mesen, like in the art art world, mm-hmm. uh, to 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 fund our film. Because for the moment, those who are giving money, and especially when I when I look, for instance, in Senegal, um, documentary film are much more. NGO films because they are funded by uh, UN, blah, 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 all this stuff. So you become, in fact, creator of um, image just to sustain um, a political um, information or ecological information for all these uh, NGO. And uh, you don't do art anymore because it's them who give you the money. And even, for instance, there is this trend when you got money for for production in documentary, you have to do outreach campaign, (laughs) which I don't know what does it mean or why it's, I don't see any any efficiency there because um, it's, why do they don't give just money for us to distribute our film and meet our audience? <laughs> Why should we again there uh, be like a social um, 
activist or uh, whatever it is. And we are never art people. We are always there to do social change, ecological change, blah, 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 everything except art. And, and that time that is taking from ourselves to think because uh, creating it's it's a process we need time we need money but we need to be our own also to to have this quest so i i think we need to to raise the attention in our continent um in the art world they have done it successfully to give us as filmmaker uh the money that we need to create and to not depend anymore on the money of uh, the Western world. Yeah, I think also it's a, it can often be such a distraction. I, I think we're all probably in agreement that um, film can change things, and um, I believe it can. But I don't. I think it should change things genuinely, not change because somebody else's agenda needs to be met. Um, and I think often when we receive funds that come from a fund that is funded by other funds, because that's often the way, right? A, a film fund gathers funds from other funds and there you have to meet their kind of criteria which is meeting their funders criteria um and so i an example of that i suppose is this idea of democracy like who's democracy though like and and does democracy even exist in the places in which are trying to promote democracy in the places in which they're trying to fund it and so i feel like this kind of loop in which we're talking about um, accepting funds under an umbrella of a certain, um, I don't know, social push or um, activist push or NGO push, um, when it's somebody else's agenda is deeply problematic. Um, I feel like if you want to fund good films, like fund those good films, but I know that's not how it works at that bigger structural level. But that obviously needs to change because I also feel like audiences aren't stupid and they know when something is being forced down their throat. I mean, personally, like when I watch a film that is so forcefully social changey, I lean back. I don't lean in. I feel like I'm being um, educated. I feel like I'm being patronized. And I, I think most audiences are like that. So I feel like the aesthetic of cinema, the mode of cinema would benefit so much more if you allowed people to make work that made people lean in. Um, and, and particularly when it comes to the African continent and the global South, I feel like also, who are you to say what social kind of, um, I don't know, parameters projects should have? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I, it's kind of deeply patronizing and colonial, of course. Um, so, yeah, so it, I, I, I feel it's a problem. But, you know, when we say these things, it's not saying that film can't change things, but it's like changing for who and changing how. Like, and why I feel that things that are deeply authentic and artistic could probably change more and make audiences lean in more than things that are forced down your throat in a um, political, social change way. Yeah, the criteria. Yeah. Completely, we need to change those criteria, especially because it's us who are making the this art. So it should be us who are writing those criteria. And and for instance, uh, these criteria avoid us to be free, not only to create but also to produce. I can't produce um, of someone from UK, but someone from UK can produce me. I can be produced by 
all the Western world, but I can't produce the Western world because I will never get funding to allow me to produce a, a director from Europe or from Asia uh, or from South America because the money with those criteria doesn't allow me to do so. So I can only produce African people <laughs> who work and live in the continent. So this also avoid me uh, a freedom of uh, creating all the films. Why can't I produce you, Nazia, for instance? I mean, why? It, it will be so much powerful to be free to produce who you want when, everywhere. So it's the same hypocrisy with the, you know, everybody can go all around the world, but only if you got the right passport. <laughs> so if you are coming from the South, you are not allowed to go outside your territory. You have to stick there. And that's also a tragedy in terms of liberty. Don't you think, Sammy? Yeah, yeah I'm thinking of what you said about the need to have different uh, funding systems. And ideally, also, we would have... Like we are citizens of our countries, we would have funds that would be functioning everywhere. And I know, talking from Tunisia, that we are more fortunate than many countries in that uh, in that regard. But I also feel that we cannot like solely depend on the goodwill of rich people and foundation or individuals being patrons of like the mecena of uh, of arts, uh, because it also comes with ties. It also even unconsciously when you when you get uh you get money to create but i i'm completely with you with this idea like this hypocrisy of who can collaborate with whom and um yeah again like we we need to find new ways of doing that and, and the same way that we are pushed to have uh like to create films that provide all the answers i feel like we should be asking questions like it's the time to be prolific in asking those questions and and also trying new ways of doing uh, doing things. I would love, yeah, for you two to collaborate differently. I think to create spaces for that. Mm. And yeah, I'm trying to think of examples. I don't have them. <laughs> Sadly, I was trying to think of, yeah, or maybe like again, there is like I I'm trying to find hope in in experiences for me. They are not meant as experiences, but I mean successful ways where you were talking about outreach or this idea of having an impact. Some of the most powerful films for me that had an impact were not meant as such. And they were really, uh, when you talk about documentaries, like creative documentaries on their own rights. I'm, I'm thinking about Hassan Halwani's Erased Ascent of the Invisible, a Lebanese documentary which also incorporates animation. And the, the work is so powerful. And at the same time, uh, the filmmaker Hassan Halwani was part of is part of a national association in Lebanon working on the question of the disappeared. So it's they the two sides communicate with each other, but the film was not made to cater to the campaign and and vice versa. Like they exist in parallel, and he exists in these two worlds. And it's really one of the most powerful films I've I've seen in such a a, a subject that is still 
yeah, very, very powerful. And I, I, I wish also when I, I watch when you were saying like we don't trust the audiences, like we, we, we don't trust the audiences. When it depends when it comes to our stories again that need to be simplified, that needs to be again for I feel like it's an intersection of this uh, structure of uh, the white gaze, the neoliberal state of things, um, and yeah, I feel like yeah, so many films like when. They are powerful. You go and look for, like, you, you've been just hinted, like, prompted. You have some of the questions, and then you go look deeper because you're interested. And when it comes to our stories, we have to give every small details. Or, again, going back to platforms or ways to accompany filmmakers, they would go and tell you, oh, no, but we don't get the context, or we don't get this or that. Like, add uh, a card or add... so. You are also, I feel like, conf like there's a confiscation of the way you should tell your your story. So again, like it all communicates. So it's not just the funding. It's not just the way we tell our stories. So it's an open-ended question. Yeah, yeah. And I would like before to close this conversation, there is a point for me. It's important to say also because. Of course, the funders can be private, but we need, for instance, strong um, funds from the states that we don't have. And, and we need to, to also to say to our people in our country, in our national country, culture is important, create jobs, and we need the money of our countries. Otherwise, we can't be independent and we will never be and I think that also is very important that our national countries respect us as creator. And also on top of that, the, the, the kind of point that you made previously about Africa being the largest growing possible market. Like there is a complete, if people are only governed by economics and nothing else, surely is that not a reason to kind of allow there to be more creativity, allow there to be more storytellers coming out of the region, even if simply for an economic reason, if you even if you don't care about anything else. Like that's, you know, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah, completely. We are the future. It's not really <laughs> we are already the future. No. So invest in our continent. <laughs> <laughs> but not with aid. <laughs> Let us yeah. do what we want. <laughs> Thank yes. you very much for this very rich conversation. I was very happy and um, yeah, thank you very much, Semiha, Naziha, and Dr. Leipzig and uh, everybody who's working around. Thank you. <laughs> thank, thank you. you.